Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Chet Scott. Chet is the founder of Built to Lead, a band of consultants that believes creating sustainable, high-performance teams is not only possible, but also worthy of the effort. The BTL band knows what builds sustainable, high-performance individuals, teams, and leaders in work and life, and together they awaken, challenge, and transform a few individuals, teams, and leaders. This is a fun one to share with everybody. I have mentioned several times on the podcast that I'm involved in a leadership development group at work and have shared some of the lessons and principles that I've picked up through that and and how they've impacted my life. And Chet is the leader of that group. So I get to work with Chet on a monthly basis uh, and have done a lot of the work that he does uh, with his individual clients as well. In this conversation, we, we go deep into what that work is. And I think this is just a great exercise for people to do. We talk about what goes into leading yourself. We talk about building a strong core and Chet talks about what it means and how important it is not only to build a physical core, but to build a a psychological core to really understand yourself and be really tight on, on who you are. And that's what the exercise is. We talk about building that core out and how you can use the power of writing to really figure out what you believe, who you are, what your principles are, what you love to do, why you're here, and how you're going to live your life aligned with those elements in a, in a meaningful way. This is a great exercise. I've done all the work that we talk about in this episode, and I can tell you that really getting clear on these things and continuing to go back and, and rinse them and, and get more clarity and more clarity really does show up in your day-to-day life and really does have an impact on what you choose to do, who you choose to be with, and the meaning that you can get out of life. So with those lofty expectations, I will introduce you to Chet Scott. Chet Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you, Obi. So this is going to be a fun one because I have talked about you a lot on here. I don't know if I've ever said your name before out loud, but I've said Built to Lead a lot. And I say I'm in a leadership program at work and we talk about fill in the blank. And so a lot of your pearls have made their way into this show. And I just thought, you know what, it's about time to ask you to be on. And this will be posted as the last episode for 2021, which I think is perfect because as we'll get into a lot of what we're going to talk about is how to think about yourself and and your life. And that's what a lot of people do around the end of the year. So this, this will be fun. Good. To start, I I just wanted to start and ask, what does it mean to have a strong core? Well, what it means to have a strong physical core is 
it means that somebody is centered. So if you look at a human being and you see somebody who stands up straight, who is not easily moved, who is flexible and agile and able to kind of like, you know, bounce in their step, even if they're not, you know, at a bouncy age, you will say to yourself, man, look at that, that person, they they stand up shoulders back, they stand up straight, they can take a punch, any number of things that would reflect somebody who you say has a literal strong core, physical. When we talk about it at Built to Lead, it's very similar. Because if you have a strong sense of who you are, of what you believe about the big questions of life, about how you want to live it, you know, what are your core principles, about not what others call you, but what you call you, your identities. And if you're a passionate person who's filled up with positive passion, you know, with doing things because you love to do them, not because you have to do them. And who, while you're doing them, is doing them with a real sense of meaning and purpose. You would have just described all the elements of the BTL core. So when we say that somebody has a strong core, BTL, figurative core, as I call it, we're kind of talking about the same thing. You're just going to see somebody who, well, kind of like I've seen you, somebody who, who comes in to the work on their core a little bit unsure of what this is, maybe a, a little unsure of who they are. And as they do the work, they start to become more OB and not who others wanted OB to be, maybe as a producer or as an artist or as a guy who wears his hair, whatever way he wants, he just becomes OB. And so we say that guy has a strong core because we say he's comfortable in his own skin. And the truth is, the two are very related. So it's a good picture analogy to think about the physical core and the figurative core very much together because you need both. And if you're going to live a, a strong physical, spiritual, relational, mental, professional life, both are required. And so that's kind of the centerpiece of the work we do at Built to Lead, working on the figurative core, but we don't ignore the literal one either. Yeah. We want our clients to work on both. And I I want to get into that. We can go back to the beginning, but first, I, I think you exposed me there because this is not a video show. And so I was able to do this these episodes through COVID and nobody knew that I didn't cut my hair for 15 months. So uh, if anybody well, needs, I think I exposed if anybody good. needs that visual, yes, I uh, I decided that it was something I had always wanted to do. Had never gone through the long hair phase, and so I told my wife I wasn't going to cut my hair until I went back to the office and made it 15 months. We're back now, though, back to the way it it, uh, it will continue to be. <laughs> so, how did you come to do this work in the first place? I get let's let's back up. We talked about core, and I want to get into that and really break that down. But how did you come to do this work? Well. 1993, I was 34 years old, working in the business world, happy as a clam, leading a team in a tech space, Columbus, Ohio, sitting in a, I was the youngest VP in our company and at, uh, at 34 was sitting in a very boring boardroom monthly meeting with the other executives talking about some bullshit I can't even recall. 
but it was just, I was working on my stuff while the CEO was talking about whatever he was talking about. And I heard him say, that's why we're going to start to send some people to the Center for Creative Leadership. We think we need to start to grow people as fast as we're growing profits. And I looked up and he was looking at me and I said, you want me to go? I said, I don't have time to go. Send Judy. She runs HR. That's her job. And he said, no, that's exactly why we want you to go. And so I lost the argument and I went and I went down to the Center for Creative Leadership in um, 1993. And I was down there with a guy that at the time ran the Tennessee Valley Authority, a four-star general, guy that ran a division of GM and a few other like old dudes. They're probably not even as old as I am now, but they seemed like old dudes then. And I thought, man, what am I doing? And they assigned you a psychologist with your personality type when you get there that you don't know it, but they're watching you behind one-way mirrors the whole time you're there, observing you, taking notes on you, back then videotaping you. And then at the end, they gave you a VHS tape of what all they had seen you do and why it mattered. They prick and probe you with every kind of personality test, IQ test, EQ test. I think they invented tests. And in one week's time, I learned more about myself than I had learned in, you know, the previous 34 in my mind. And I came back, told the CEO, man, that was the best week of my life. Send everybody. Like, you need to send all the leaders there. They're, they'll figure out a lot more about who they are. They need to all go. And he goes, well, well, slow down. It's too expensive to do that. We'll slowly start to send folks. And I said, no, no, no. No, you need to send everybody. And he said, no, we're not going to do it. I said, well, then let me start it. Let me start our own. I'll study all this stuff and I'll start one ourselves. And you can send some, but I'll start a leadership institute. And he said, all right, do it on the side. You know, keep doing your job. But if you really are that passionate about it, do it on the side. So I did. And that's when this whole journey of becoming built to lead began for me. And I started to read everything I could about human performance and why there's so few great teams, especially so few great teams that sustain performance over time or through transitions. And I just got, I got the bug completely. And before that, I had just been happy as a clam running a division of a company, driving the business, raising my family, kind of oblivious to like the bigger questions in life. And it just woke me up. And so then I really got after it. And I told the CEO maybe a year after that, I told him, I said, hey, I know what I'm going to do now. I said, I'm going to go start my own company. We're going to build leaders, but I'm not ready to do it yet. But you don't have to worry. I'm not going to leave and go to a competitor. I have no interest in being in the world of this kind of work. I'm too fascinated with what makes individuals, teams, and leaders, what makes them work and what makes them work well. And I said, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. If you let me do it here, I'll stay for as long as I can to kind of figure it out before I go out and put a, put a shingle out. And so he, he agreed. And that began the, the really deep dive into becoming built to lead. I didn't have those words yet, but that's exactly what I was doing. You read a lot, right? Every time you come into our office, you've got a different book. Uh, we talk a lot about reading and reflecting. What is your process for self-study? 
it's really varied. You know, I have, I have a full clientele. You know, I'm not taking any more clients. I've decided not taking any more ever. But the only new client I will take will be a new builder who I believe in. And that'll only be if current client goes away. So I'm full to the gills done. So I have a lot of client work. I have 20, 21 clients that I build into one-on-one, 14 teams that I build into in team practice. So I have to work in my studying in between. So I've really figured out my schedule and, and morphed it. I used to have a discipline of three hours a day, read, write, reflect. And I would six days a week, I would do it. And it was early in my career when I had less clients and less builders who I'm also doing work with, I could easily do that. So as, as that's changed, I've kind of had to adapt my schedule. So today, the reason we're doing this on a Friday is because today's the day I don't, I only see sports teams that are out of, you know, they're in season and this is an only day I could get them in the week. But normally if it's not for a sports team exception, this is a study day. So Friday, I see no clients. Saturday, no clients. Sunday, no clients. So I really cram most of my study time into those three days. So for instance, this is the current read that I just started last night on page 60. And what book is that? The Long Walk? Yeah. It's like another Viktor Frankl Man's Search for Meaning. This is a Polish World War II prisoner of war who with a team of I haven't even gotten to that part, how many went with him, but they were walked into Northern Siberia and they're going to escape after a few years and they have to walk. Basically it's called the long walk because they walk like 5,000 miles through Siberia, 3,000 of it. And what I've read so far is just, again, I love to read these books that teach me not to whine. And so this book will be devoured, you know, sometime on Sunday, I will have polished it off. So to answer your, your question, I now mostly read Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I'll sparingly read during the week, but I mostly read history. I don't like many leadership books, so I don't read much of those. I mostly read history. Ancient Greek history is my favorite, American history second, and then history of sports and war are in the mix as well because there's just the leadership lessons I find more um, that I can parse them out and figure out what do I believe about them by just reading various accounts of history. So what do you do when you finish a book? I know that when you go through a book, there's a lot of marginalia going on. You know, you're writing all in it. Yeah. You're showing me the inside cover and it's just already full. And you said you're not even 20% into the book. So what do you do? You're taking notes as you go, but what do you do afterwards? How do you collect this information and retain it? Because you have very good retention of the information that you've retained over the years and you have this vast collection of stories. So what what happens when you're done with the book? Typically, I'll go to see if there's a movie and a documentary or I'll go to during the reading of the book, they'll mention other stories and I'll go read those. So typically when I get on a topic, I will read all around it. So I'll read a book in that book. 
they'll mention stuff that I'll be curious about. Again, I'll watch movies. I'll go read the other books that this guy read that he talked about. And then I'll go talk to my clients about it. And the reason I'm reading this book is because I was talking to a client about a book I just read called Solitary. And it's the story of the first Israeli ace during the Six-Day War and during the War of Attrition, which was two years after the Six-Day War, he was shot down over Egypt and taken into solitary confinement. And the story is about how he survived the torture and the treatment and, and how he got back all beat and mangled and got back in his fighter jet in the same war when they told him basically he'd never walk again. Instead of taking that, he built himself back up so that he could fly fighter jets again. And he flew literally fighter jets in that same war. And the hardest part was not getting his core, his literal core strong, his literal body strong. What was the hardest part was getting his spiritual, mental side of his psyche right. Because when he first started to fly and he flew over Egypt, he just lost it. Sure. He was physically fine, but his core was filled with fear, unlike it had been before. So he had to rebuild who he was and his sense of self. So when I read a book like that, and then I go talk to a client, then another client tells me, well, gosh, if you like that, you got to read this. So this is how it just kind of snowballs. And so it's easy to retain it because I immediately work with what I'm getting. I tie it to my core, to my opus. I put it to work talking to my clients and then they go, oh, Chet, yeah, I'm going to read that. You read The Long Walk because that's my favorite book. And so that's how it cements it. I talk about it. I put it right to work. Whenever you're studying something, if you put it to work right after you learn it, it cements it in your mind. If you just read and jump to the next thing, but you don't use it, you don't talk about it, you don't put it to work or you don't go deeper and watch a movie, write about that. When I watch the movie, I write about it and I, I don't watch it to be entertained. I watched it and I take notes in, in my Evernote on the movie scene so that I recall it, remember it, can go back to that scene and use it. So I'm studying whatever it is I'm studying, I'm studying and using it. It's not, I'm just studying it to get smart. I'm studying it to be a better builder, to do better work with you and all my clients. So that's why I retain it because I use it. Yeah, you're not assuming that you'll retain it and have it when you need it later. You put it right into practice. Put it right into practice. Yeah. So I think all that writing is a good segue to another question I had. And I know the answer, but I think it'd be good to have you explain it. You are not taking any clients now, but what is your process for onboarding a new individual client? Yeah, well, the process for all of us, it really starts with discovery, which is 81 questions that when somebody says they want to become built to lead, the first thing we do is ask them to author discovery, which there are 81 questions designed to get the writer deeper sense within who they are. So they're not simple questions. They're questions designed to make you think and reflect about like why you do what you do, why you're here, why are you doing this? You know, is the first one, why are you here? And, and we force them to write a narrative. Many 
business owners, when they first see this document, they tell me, well, I don't have time for that. Yeah, that's way too much. I don't like to write. And I'm always like, well, this is not optional. Either you do this or we don't engage because it'd be like going to a doctor's office and the doctor's saying that he's going to do a basic checkup on you before he diagnoses. You tell him you've got all these pains and aches and these troubles and you just want him to, to give you something to make it better without him going through his checklist to see exactly what's going on inside your system. Discovery is our way of doing just that. So it's not optional. Like I'm not here to just prescribe or help you modify behaviors. I'm here to help you figure you out and then help you figure out where you want to go, where you want to become great and then help you do that. So discovery is like step one. And And why is writing so important? Well, for a whole variety of reasons, but the two biggest reasons is that the more we've studied the brain and the way the brain works, it doesn't do so well holding all these things in working memory, that it's chewing the cut over, that it's ruminating over. Most humans, you know, if they think about like, well, why did I do that? And they think about, well, why don't I do this? Why do I have such a hard time stopping and limiting myself for this? And why don't I stick to that diet? You know, they think about it a lot. Most humans spend a lot of their waking time, their alone time, what we would call ruminating. And that is they're just chewing over thoughts that just play on repeat in their mind. The reality is that if you do that over and over, you will become depressed. You will have more anxiety. You will heighten fear, uncertainty, doubt, all of these leading to panic or to just deep depression. This is the, this is just the way the brain works. So what your brain loves to do is take what it's thinking about and get it out of its head onto paper, onto a screen, onto something where it can look at it separate from itself, see it in black and white. So the main number one reason we tell people to write is so that you get out of your head. And we have an epidemic today in our culture of people that are lost in their head. So we, we coach you to write so that you can get out of your head and get it out of your head on paper so that we can not just forget about it, but do something about it. So that's one of the biggest reasons. And then secondly, that we consume media like never before in our culture. I mean, the last study I saw, which was 2002, 11.4 hours a day were eyeballs into media. The greatest influence in the life of an average American is whatever media they pay attention to. So so most humans, if you want to know what they're thinking, you just get their phone and you look at their apps. And that will tell you, you'll know so much about that human and their thought process by just simply looking at the phone because that's where they spend their time. And they're mostly influenced by influencers or people that tweet them and that they pay attention to or somebody on Instagram. That's the biggest influence in their life is some other human. Oftentimes, they don't even know. They've never met. Mm-hmm. But they are following. And I mean, like, really following. And so we want our clients to write so that they become the biggest influence in their life. Because if you're going to become who you're meant to be, you have to be the biggest influence in your life. And writing 
is proven to be the greatest way to become more influential over you. So we want all our clients. In fact, if you become a client of ours at Built to Leads, you will become a writer. That doesn't mean you're going to write short stories or novels or plays or Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> though you might, you might. Though you might. You might. You absolutely might. But you will write for you. And you will write. And you will, you will come to love it. Our clients that I've been with for 15, 20 years, they love writing. And I don't force them to do it. I just got them started. And now look out. You know, I mean, because it's really, it really feels good when you start to feel that you are influencing yourself more and more and more because you, every human loves control. And this gives you more of a sense of control. I found that before BTL and working with you, I had a fitness and performance blog. So I was teaching CrossFit for a number of years on the side while at Lockton. And a couple of friends had asked me, hey, can you program workouts for me? And so I had like five versions of the spreadsheets going that I was sending to different people based on their ability level. And I was finally like, this is just too much. So I just started putting, I said, I'm going to put four workouts a week online on a blog. Do them if you want to. You can scale them. You know, it's all, it's meant to be basic, but you can make it harder. You can make it easier. And then I started because I was immersing myself in the CrossFit methodology and then learning about other different anatomy and performance and different things. I started writing a little thought and kind of sharing what I was learning. And then that turned into sort of my own analysis of what was going on in my life and what, what lesson did I learn that week on how to get better, how to perform. And what I found was every time I sat down on a Sunday to write that, I would sit down almost inevitably with the concept in my head. Like, oh, I know what I'm going to write about. This will be quick. And in the process of getting it onto the computer, onto paper, I would just wrestle with these ideas. And I realized I didn't really know what I was talking about. I conceptual, I had a feeling for it, but I couldn't articulate it. And in distilling it down and actually editing it into a synthesized thought, it helped me lock it in and then use it later. And it made it more relevant for other people. So I learned what I thought by writing. How powerful was that? Yeah, very. And I just realized like over five years of doing that, how much I changed just because of that, that discipline and that practice. So when I heard that you had the 81 questions, I was like, oh, this is great. I love this stuff. Uh, I was already, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. So, so you have your 81 discovery questions and that's not related to core or opus, which we'll define here as well. What's the process for somebody to build out a strong core? Well, actually discovery is the first. Okay. So it is related because those 81 questions, as then we sit down and we, and we practice, and once the client finishes the 81 questions, they send it to the builder and we read it and we will start our practice and we'll start to practice the first, probably at least with me, the, probably the first three months of practice that a client has with me is I'll just say, I'll start to practice with, tell me more about what you wrote on question four and they'll tell me. And I'll say, okay. And then whatever it is they tell me, I'll say again, tell me more. And they'll tell me more. And then I'll tell them, okay, now take a moment and just write what you're thinking. And they will. And then I'll have them play it back to me. 
And in there, you will begin to see a belief system being formed. And I'll just tell them, okay, now take a moment and write, I believe and fill in the blank based on what you just discovered about you. And that's the beginning of their worldview. And your worldview is your basic set of beliefs through which you make sense of the world. Every human has one. Most it's in your subconscious. You, you haven't really brought it to surface. You've not written it out. But every day when you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, and you get on with your day, it's because of a deeply held belief. That's what it guides all of your behavior. And so discovery gives us, it gives us a great starting point to help our clients realize they have a worldview. And we want you to make it conscious so that you know your deeply held beliefs and you can then align your behaviors back to them. When somebody doesn't have a strong worldview, a strong set of what they believe about the big questions in life and in work, what most humans do is they just try to modify behaviors to get along with whatever group they're with. And they spend all their life trying to fit in. And they have no idea, like, even why they chose the group. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of hysterical, but, you know, they don't realize all humans want to become who they're meant to be. It's deeply buried in your psyche that you want to become OB, like just untethered. And you want to belong to at least one other. You want to know that there's somebody in this world that, that you belong with. All humans want both of those. Those are like deep wirings. You want to become who you're meant to be. And you want to belong with somebody else. And ideally with another tribe, with a clan, with a community that you feel accepts you for who you are. Well, so that's the whole point of getting your worldview. So you can figure out who you are. So then your likelihood of choosing where you want to belong being a good fit goes up because you've gotten more clarity about who you really are. What most people end up doing is just falling in with a gang, with a group, with a, with a clique, with some kind of like ad hoc community. And they just adopt whatever those cultural beliefs are for that group. Now that's not going to guarantee greatness. It might not even guarantee sustainability, depending on what kind of a clique you fall into. So our process starts with discovery to get the client to understand they have a belief system that it's found in their discovery document and they'll start to do that. And so we'll get them to write out version 1.0 of their worldview, 2.0, keep going. And then pretty soon as they do that, we'll help them see what are some of the identity statements, the names that they're calling themselves. And so that's the next element of the six-pack core we work on. Worldview is the is the one we start with. It's everything else builds off the worldview. But we want our clients to get focused on what are the names they call themselves, which reflect your character, versus what most of us do is worry all day about what a weather call, what other people call us. And these athletes we work with, man, oh man, do they ever worry about that? Reputation means everything. There's like somebody blasts them on Twitter and they go into I mean, anxiety and panic like you've never imagined because the reputation's been tarnished. And so we always tell them like, you know, you can't control reputation. Other people will name you what they want to name. Yeah. 
you can control the names you call you. Those are your identity states. The stronger you get in that, the less you care about what they call you. That's just true. Is that, Since is that we can't character? control. So you, you, yeah, you, you control your you character, are. they control your reputation. That's right. Yeah, I'd let people tell me all the time, well, I want a, a good reputation. And I'm like, well, then build a good character. Because you can't control the reputation. You can control the character. You can control building a strong belief system and behaving in alignment. You can control building an identity and then being who you are. You can control that. You will still have others that will not like you, that will talk trash about you. That's just the gig. That's the human condition. But you'll have a few that are going to come alongside because anybody I know that's done the work within, they find a belonging. And it's a good one. Because mass attracts mass. That's a that's a law of physics and it works with humans. So the stronger you get on your belief system, your identity, then your principles, the values that mean the most to you. And you begin to live them. We call that your WIP, your work in process. The more you start to live them, the more the right people will be attracted to you. And like a magnet, they will just, they all attach. And like a magnet, the people who just are repulsed by that will be just the same. They will, they, they will not want to come near. That's a good thing. So, you know, the, that's kind of where that work starts. WIP. Then we work on the three P, which is the other side of the six pack. Once you get your worldview identity principles, that's tight. Then we work on your passions because we want many of our clients, even our athletes, have fallen out of love with why they got into the world they got into. And so we want to remind them that they're meant to love their work and their life. And oftentimes we've gotten responsible and forgotten that that we loved this when we got into it. So we remind them of doing all these things that you love because life is an energy management problem and you need more love if you want more juice. That's the only thing that gives you juice. So we have clients write out, I love to, and then fill in the blank and start to find time to invest in doing and being with love to. And then nothing is more powerful than a big why than knowing why you're here and why you're going there and why you're not going over there. And so the next P is, is your core purposes, your big whys for work and life. And, you know, as Nietzsche said long ago, he who has a why can endure nearly any how. That's what we want our clients to get. It's very clear about why are they here? Why do they want to be a producer? Why do they want to be a, a father? Why do they want to be a better son, a better neighbor? Why do they care about having friends? You know, we want them to, we want them to very, be very clear about why their big purposes matter to them and then go pursue them. And then the last B is to have a process that you use, that you develop to ensure that your core is continually worked, continually tightened. Because just like your literal core, you don't work it once in a while and have a strong core. You don't work it once a week and have a strong core. As you know from your CrossFit, if you're going to build a strong physical core, you have to continue to work it. You have to have a process that works it in new ways. 
or over time it will grow weaker. Yeah. So the same is true for your figurative course. So we want our clients to work on their process. We call it their playbook of productive action for tightening their core, for living it out. And so, you know, that's, that is the majority of the work we do with our clients one-on-one is help them build that. And by doing it, we're constantly working on our core, you know, so because my core needs work too. And I just happen to get paid to work on my core because every time I work on my client's core, I'm, I'm looking at my own going, Hmm, you might want to rinse that again because that needs some tightening. And that's one of the best things about this work. It's one of the things I love the most about it. You know, every day when I'm working with clients, I'm, I'm working on me. So you had said, so worldview is the big one and the place that you suggested people start. And you had said, you know, I believe fill in the blank. And so when I've built this out, the instruction I got was write down, I believe, and then just as many things as you can possibly write down it. Just go, just open the valve, just throw it, let it come out. So I believe blank. What's the exercise for identity? What do you think? Well, I know the answer, but I'm trying to prompt you. So, so identity is I am blank. All the names you call yourself. Is it worth writing down? What, what are the what are the what are the biggest names you call you? What do you call OB? What what do, what name do you identify with the most? If you were to say all the different identities you have as a human, what's the one right now that you most call yourself? Curious. And tell us more. I, right now, am curious about a lot of different things. I'm curious about myself, which is why I'm doing the Built to Lead work. I'm curious to really figure out why I'm here and what I want to do. I'm curious about the way the world works, about the principles that can apply. That's why I do the podcast. I like distilling that down, understanding. I want to I see how those lessons apply in the real world. So I'm curious to see how the rubber meets the road. I'm curious to explore different facets of myself. You've mentioned it already. You know, I mentioned the CrossFit. I mentioned my sales job where I work with you. I mentioned the podcast. You mentioned writing. You know, there's just a lot of different elements that I want to be explore and be curious about. And then with the, within each of my passions, I'm very curious to learn more. So curiosity is a big name that I associate with. Now, see, I would say to me, the biggest name I would see you would be if I were to say, who do I think OB is? I would say OB is an artist. So that would be your reputation with me. I would not say OB is like the curious cat. I wouldn't think you lack curiosity. I definitely, that'd be one of them. But if I were to say, what would be your prime identity from my vantage point? I would say, OB, that dude is, he's an artist and he's just figuring out his art. He's just a young dude, but man, he's got the artist streak running deep in him and through him. And it's just now starting to express itself. And I can't wait to see what his art will be. And so maybe we're saying the same thing because I am curious, is the beginning of any artist? Because if you study art, when you study the great artists, they would sit down at a canvas with a thought or they'd sit down at a keyboard with a thought 
and some would say a prayer, some would call on the muse, some would call on other spirits, and then they would let the pen flow across the canvas and see what comes out. Dylan is a great story to study. When he wrote Like a Rolling Stone, he didn't know he was writing it. And I see you that way. He would be just curious. And then if you study another great artist, OB, that would be a good one for you, would be Leonardo da Vinci. When um, a totally great artist, great engineer, first dude to ever do an autopsy and figured out that he was curious that why are these veins, some of them so clogged? And he began to surmise that it had something to do with the food that this person had eaten. And he was the first dude to look at that, the insides of us, and study it. He was insatiably curious. And so I would tell you and everybody else that's listening that that's a really great identity to say, I am curious. Because there's no cure for curiosity. (laughs) No, no, there isn't. No. And so, and if you're going to become great at anything, you you know, Da Vinci is known as the greatest genius of all time. And his first essential was to build your curiosity. So where we start with identities, just like this, I just have people tell me what they think about themselves. And then I will play it back to them. And, you know, you're primed because you're further along. But some might say, really, my prime identity is I'm a dad. And I'd be like, that's great. Tell me about being a father. Tell me more about that. And they would tell me. Some would say, I am a producer. I'm, I make money. I'm an entrepreneur. And I'd say, great. Tell me more about that. And then I would continue to challenge them to work on, you know, great lives are ones where we have multiple, not multiple personalities multiple identities i want you to be who you are but i want you to have more than one dimension to who you are and so identity is this way of saying i am curious i am an artist i am a father i'm a husband i'm a son or a daughter or whatever it is i am a great neighbor i'm an entrepreneur and have these not just be words they are laced with meaning that you actually see yourself. Like I think of myself as I am a builder and I don't build houses. I, I'm in the business of building humans and the business of building teams. But I, ref, I think of myself as a builder and I also know who I am not. So a bunch of your identities are clear for who you are. and. I am not someone who loves details. I am not someone who loves structure and order. I am someone who lives just this side of chaos. I am Toto, is one of the names I call myself, because Toto was a little dog who you couldn't put in a basket. He would jump out and bark, and he wasn't the star of the show, but his job was to get Dorothy to realize who she was. And that she didn't need to go away. She was already where she was meant to be. She just needed to see herself for who she was. So I say to myself, I am a builder. I am Toto. And a bunch of others. And they mean something to me. And the clearer you are about your identity, the more when other people say, Chet, you ought to do this. Or Chet, you know, we really see you as that. 
And they might be really good things, but I can clearly say, no, I've thought that through. That's not who I am, man. I am, you know, you want me to go do all these motivational speeches with these people? I am not a motivational speaker. I'm a builder. I want to go deep with a few. Um, I have clients tell me all the time to come do this, this big gig, one-time thing. And I'm like, I don't do that. That's not who I am. So the more your identity is solid with who you are, you'll be able to say yes and no without hesitation because your identity will guide you to the activities and it'll guide you away from ones that would be a distraction, that would be an energy drain. I mean, I could do a number of things, but they, they're not who I am. So they, it would be a false identity. And so I just avoid them. I don't, I don't touch them. And I have seen that that's powerful in, in my own life to, to define those. But as you're talking, you know, I think on the one hand, it's incredibly powerful to do this and really define who you are. And to your point, it, it allows you to filter out the things that you don't want to do as much as it aligns you with the things you do want to do. Yes. Where does that become protection for people though? You know, cause some, I've heard people who maybe haven't done all of this work say, well, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. And they don't, they take a fixed mindset on who they are. So where's the line between having a growth mindset and being strong in your core and your identity? Well, that's a really good question. And there's not a really clean answer for that. You know, I want my clients to remain open and to evolve and grow and change. And I've seen that in me and in, and in them. And sometimes you'll have a change in identity based on a change in season of time, a change in circumstance, you know, like all kinds of things. So I want you to be open, but I want you to be, I want you to follow the laws of evolution and not have revolutionary change in identity. Those are always chaotic. So an open mind, a growth mindset does not mean you're going to be going like here, one direction and then another. There will be an evolutionary process to this. And that's when you know it's healthy. And, and so you will be growing. And you'll be open, but rarely do I see my clients going like so many people I see, they just appear to be, they don't have direction. And so they're just searching and they're going, they're saying they have a growth mindset. So then I'm going to try this and then I'm going to try that. And I'm going to try the other thing. And there's, there's no, they don't relate at all. And they don't seem to be following any pattern. You won't do that. When you get strong in your core, you will be evolving. You'll be open but they'll be very much a course and people will see that you very much kind of like in the movie, walk the line. When you see Johnny cash walking into Columbia records, there's chaos all around him and the cinematography shows him just walking the line going straight up there because he was on a mission. You will see that in somebody that's becoming built to lead. He went from, he, he varied his music greatly over his career but he still walked the line and you'll see that as you become stronger in your core i mean you know the dude played a nine inch nail song for his last song i would say he evolved <laughs> you know good, good, good point <laughs> so we have worldview we have pr we have identity third one is principles so we have i believe i am and then what's principles principles are like your i will so these are the 
the values that mean the most to you and you will follow them. And they're how you make sense of your belief system and your identity. It's like kind of where the rubber hits the road. So you'll have as many principles as, as you want. You can throw all those up. Most of my clients over time, I don't try to distill the worldview down. I want people to, my worldview keeps getting bigger. I view the worldview as a matrix. It's a complex algorithm. And so it keeps expanding. My identity is the same. I keep picking up new ones, you know, as I get older and um, I pick up new identities. That's just me, but it's true. But principles I keep tightening down to like, like when I wake up in the morning, I remind myself of my core principles. And there's only three that I think about every day. First one is I remember to tell myself, model the way. My number one core principle is, hey, whatever I'm about to do today with my clients, with my family, remember, don't ask them to do something you're not doing, Chad. Model the way. Nobody wants you to show them the way by telling them the way. People want to see the way in you. And so I remind me, that's a core principle of mine. I'm never going to ask a client to do something I'm not doing. I'll model it for you. Follow me. Okay. So that's my first four principles. The second one, which was the biggest change in me in the nearly 30 years since I really started trying to figure me out, the biggest change is my second one, which is to first model the way. Second one was embrace pain and suffering. I spent the first 34 years of my life trying to avoid pain and suffering. I thought there's no way I'd ever want anything but the easy life. And as I've come to realize, I believe life is designed to be hard, that it's a test, and that a great life is discovered by learning how to do hard things well. By the very nature of hard things, doing hard things is going to require you to, to suffer to go through some forms of pain on your way to feeling that progress, just like you learn in CrossFit or anything else, in any sport, in any art, in any endeavor. If you're going to be great at it, you're going to have to embrace suffering. There's no shortcut or hack to excellence. So I was always looking for one. And I'm like, I don't really think this is working very well. It wasn't working well with my body or my mind, taking shortcuts. I could see it. I could feel it. And so I began to, it really started when I started having a lot of physical pain. I had arthritis in my left hip, both my shoulders. I'd wrecked from cycling accidents. I had arthritis in both my shoulders. I had a bad knee. I had a lower back that was killing me. And this is all in my early 40s. And going to orthopedics and other docs, they told me I need to have my left hip replaced. My shoulders are shot. They're going to need to be replaced. Just deal with the pain as long as you can because once we replace them, they don't last that long. And I began to look for a better way. So I started reading and studying about my joints, discovered a TRX, discovered magnesium, CBD oil, and other things that I could start to take that were not invasive, like cuts, <laughs> yeah. and uh, having rods put in. And that was back in 2008 when I really got serious about acute pain. 
And I started to just say, I'm going to, before I do this, I'm going to put myself in acute pain and see if I can't get out of this chronic pain. And about two years into it, I noticed one morning down in this very same basement I'm in right now, just, just back through the door here, 20 feet away, is the place they call the 3P Palace. It stands for push-ups, pull-ups, and planks. And I remember one morning with my friends down there doing the exercises and knowing and realizing nothing hurt. Nothing. And I remember almost crying. I was so like, this is real. Like I'm doing these push-ups and I don't feel my shoulders. I'm doing this ball. And the doctor told me never put a heavy ball over my head. I'm doing this ball and I'm putting it over my head. And it doesn't hurt. And my lower back is not talking to me. Nothing. And so I'm totally a believer now. I believe there is a way to live well, and it's acute pain replacing chronic pain. And so every morning when I get up, I say, Chet, embrace pain and suffering, the acute kind. Do not walk from a hard conversation today. Walk into it. That's acute pain. Do not give yourself, you know, let yourself off the hook. Do not half-ass anything. Go all out with everything. That's acute pain. Do not be afraid if you get fired. It'll be a good firing because you will get fired for speaking the truth. That's acute pain. Don't placate yourself or others. Give them the truth. It may hurt. It will not harm. That's pain and suffering. And so that's my second principle. And I live it every day. And I have, there's no chance I'm going back. <laughs> Totally buy it. And then my third principle is embody truth and love. And this is the hardest. They're all hard, but this is the hardest. But I really work it and I stand to myself every morning, just embody truth and love. So I've lost the ability to bullshit. I used to just be full of it. And I would just say things because I thought they sounded good. Just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and it was good bullshit. You know, I mean, I it, it wasn't meant to harm people, but it, it wasn't truth. I've lost the ability to do that. People ask me a question, I give them the truth. People want to know what I think, I give them the truth. I try to do it in love. Sometimes if, if they irritate me, they'll get the truth in anger. <laughs> We've all had those moments. And, yeah, and but they'll never get bullshit. I'll never tell them something that I think they want to hear, but is not the truth. So those are my three principles. And that's how I live. I will model the way. I will embrace pain and suffering. And I will do the best I can to embody truth and love. I know I'll do all of them imperfectly. The last one is just the hardest because there's, you know, truth in love is to me the definition of heaven. And none of us is a saint. And so just by the nature of the human being, we struggle with truth and love because, you know, we're torn ourselves. And so that's the hardest one because I know the human condition. I know the human heart. I know mine. And truth and love does not have a lot to do with being right. It has a lot to do with doing what's right and knowing when you don't say anything. And so that's just hard. And none of us is going to be perfect at it. We're all going to spew stuff that we would like to gather back so that's why i tell people another principle that's not my first three is that i'm a master at repair so i live my life knowing i'm going to make mistakes and i just 
I live my life going, how am I going to live with myself? I will repair. So I will not bullshit. And I'll sometimes say the bad shit. I'll repair. I will not just carry on and let it go. I'll repair. And I tell all my clients, if you're going to be great, if you're going to lead anything to excellence, you're going to get over your skis. You're going to get out in front of yourself. If you're going to make mistakes. And people will forgive you if you repair. People will not forgive you if you think you don't need to. Or I'm above that. Or I'm better than you. Or, you know, why do I need to repair with you? You're freaking so far below me. It's not even worth my time. No, that's not the built to lead way. The built to lead way is model the way, embrace pain and suffering, embody truth and love, become a master of repair. And the last one I want to hit on, so we've gotten through the the whip, passions <laughs> is the last one. So passions, I love to, right? Any comments there on how people should think about passions? Like a child. I always tell people like, how would your five-year-old self answer this? And they'll say stuff like, well, Chad, I'm not five anymore. I'm like, but you, you are. <laughs> That's still in there. So, you know, and sometimes when people really struggle, I'll have them write a letter to their five-year-old self. Okay. If, if they, some of them just get really gridlocked, like, Chad, I'm responsible now. I'm a dad. I got three kids. I'm a CEO. I've got a big business. I don't love it, but I do love my kids. And, and I, okay, so there, there's a love. To, I love my children. Okay, good. So tell me a few more. A lot of my adult clients, especially the older men, have a hard time with the L word. So when they get gridlocked, I'll just tell them, okay, do me a favor. I'll let you stop. I want you to write a letter to your five-year-old self. Just remember what you were like at five. And I want you to write a letter to that five-year-old about what you now know as a 50-year-old. But I want you to write it back to your five-year-old self. Every time I give that assignment, they'll come up with a bunch of love-tos because they will start to write about all. They'll start to just throw it up. And all the stuff they've learned and They've, they'll come back to like playing. They'll come back to that because we all love to play. Mm-hmm. And many of us have gotten too practical, too professional, too responsible. And so we're meant most of the great, when you study greatness, they, they're playing when it looks like they're performing. But when you ask them afterwards, what were you thinking? Well, I was just playing, man. I mean, you know, that's true in sport, it's true in art, it's true in commerce. When you study these great ideators or entrepreneurs and you really get them in a low-key moment when they're not trying to sound a certain way, they're just, they'll tell you, man, I was playing. Like, that was just fun. So I believe that we're meant to labor, not in vain, but in love. And that's the roots of opus, which we'll talk about another time when we have more time. But love tos in your core are going to feed a labor of love, which we want you to have in your work and in your life. But we want our clients to start building that sense of passion, positive passion, through the work they do in their love tos, so that they can begin to look at their work and fall more in love with it or find work they love some people call built to lead built to lead because as they did their love tos and they came clean they realized they they did not love their profession and many have left 
or they didn't love where they performed their profession. Many have left to go pursue a labor of love in a place that's more conducive to it. That's, I call that great. What advice do you have for people who do this work and come to that realization that, that something foundational in their life is not aligned with what they believe, who they are, or what they love to do? There's a lot of cognitive dissonance there to mm-hmm. giving something up, right? To give up an identity or, you know, to realize that you're in a passionless path. So how do you coach clients through that cognitive dissonance? Well, slowly. (laughs) Uh, They don't always listen, depending on the the clarity of the aha moment. You know, like when they come to this, like, I can't stay here. I've had some literally who, when they got this clarity, they were, it was like me trying to pull them out. They were jumping out the window and I couldn't stop them. Most of the time I do stop them. Because I don't want people to jump out. I want people to jump in. And so what we'll do is if somebody gets clarity that this is not my spot, I can't do this. Well, before you jump out, I want you to get clarity on what you're going to jump into. And so they'll write and they'll reflect and I'll talk to them and I'll try to, I'll be the one being practical because I want them, I don't want them jumping out the window without a parachute. You know, I want them to have a really good soft landing where they go next. So the way you do that is you know what you're jumping into and you really want it bad enough to go through the transition time where you're going to deal with this in-between period where you're going to feel nothing. And when you leave one place to go to another, the hardest part is that in-between, that transition. So we spend a lot of time, I tell them, you know, keep doing what you're doing here. You're being paid. And start doing work on your own time to get clarity about your writing, about why this you can't find the passion here, why you need to have a purpose to go somewhere else. And oftentimes what we'll find out is they just need to have a conversation, you know, with a leader or two. They just need to talk through how they want to do the work. It, many times, most times, I would say, the clarity comes where it's not, they don't need to, switch, to change jobs, if you will. They need to change themselves. They need to talk to some people that they've been putting off because it's painful to do. And so we'll push them to go have these conversations. And then the clarity, after they've done the writing, the cl- and, and go into them in, with, in the right headspace. Not going in there demanding. Going in there just truth and love. Telling people, hey, this I've come to this clarity. I think this is what I want. I think I could be most effective if we made a couple of changes. And I'm open to your ideas, but here's what I'm thinking. And you go in there, and it's amazing how when somebody goes into that with the kind of clarity they've gotten from the work they've done on themselves, they're very believable. And it tends to go pretty well. Yeah. I've seen that just in my own life working with you. I struggled with motivation for a while in in our job, kind of just always having that feeling, again, not having it defined, but having that feeling like, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. And I, I was journaling on it and journaling on it, journaling on it. And finally, I just had this realization that if I just, it's, it wasn't about leaving for me. It was just about rethinking my approach to the work and how I identified with the work. And I just said, you know, Mm. 
this type of conversation is more fun than this type of conversation. And so I'm just going to go out and I'm going to have as many of these first type of conversations as I possibly can. And when I stick to that, I'm motivated, I'm energy's up. It's just a much more fun, rich, fulfilling experience. And I can see that in you. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it when, I, when I'm when i doing it versus maybe when I let it slip And I've again. never seen you do your work. Yeah. I've never seen you with a client, but I see exactly what you're saying. I know I can visualize that change. And I've actually seen it just in the way I've seen you handle yourself and built to lead practice. Like I've seen this increase in you just being comfortable being OB. And I guarantee you that your clients see that. And the more they see that you're having the conversation with them that you want to be having, they're more likely to buy. Yeah. And you're more likely to sell without even selling. And that's, again, that's what we call a strong core and an authentic opus. And it could have been no different than you still being a producer but you're producing your way. Yep. Not Tommy C's way, not freaking Wehrma's way or anybody else's well-intended good way. But you've made your peace with your place and doing it your way. And I can see that as an outsider. And I can see where people have not made that commitment and they're still languishing. And like, there's nothing that we can do because that whole gig we can try all we want, but until that light bulb went off inside of your head, it wouldn't have mattered how much Tommy C talked to you or Werma or me or anybody else. Because see, here's another thing we've learned. 99.9% of all healthy humans listen to themselves. And so if we want to help someone figure all this out, what we got to do is let them figure it all out. And when somebody like you starts to figure out the kind of conversations they have that they want to have, and we're trying to get you to be your best, when we see when the light bulb's gone on, we go, that's it. And we just let you go. And you're going to tell yourself afterward, it was my idea. Now, others around you may have been trying to get you there, working like crazy to help you see it. Doesn't matter. They can take credit for it. Doesn't matter. The bottom line is, you did it because you believed it was your idea. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because it's my idea. And if somebody told me, Chet, you need to do it this way, you need to change it to do that way, unless I internalize that and go, they're right, and I want to do it, which is rare, 99% of the behavior you do day in and day out is the behavior that you've told yourself you want to do. And so, the greatest trainers get their, get their the dude doing their CrossFit exercise to think it's their idea. When I do workouts on my driveway, I involve them in the leading of it. I make them count. I make them. I let some of them lead some of the work so that, and they keep showing up and they're horribly hard workouts, but they lead part of it and they think it's their idea. And this is the gig. And so, I've seen that in you, in your job, and the people. The job of your listeners is to take what they're learning here and write about it, reflect on it, because they need to come up with a better idea for how they lead themselves. And we all do. Like, that's where the greatest leadership challenge for me is leading me. It always will be. And 
your listeners are not going to get better with an idea they heard here and just trying to put it in play. They'll get better if they had an idea they heard here and they run it through their strong core, which means they've got to build the strong core first. So then they can take all these great ideas of yours and others and run them through this internal matrix that they've built so that they will then go, whatever book they read, whatever podcast they listened to, whatever coaching they got from strategic coach or whomever it was, they'll run through their core and they'll say, this is what I'm going to do. And they'll think it was their idea. That's the magic. That's the magic. Chet, thank you for coming on the show and, and spreading the magic and the love. There's a lot in here. I mean, people could fill many years just doing all of the work that we've talked about today. And I guess, would you just talk a little bit about the book? Because there is there is a year's worth of work, at least in there for people to do if they want to. Yeah, well, a year ago, finished a book called Becoming Built to Lead. You can get it wherever you get books. I think you ought to just get the audio book because I, I think that's the cheapest. You can start with that. And it's designed the way I believe life is designed. So the book is written to one a day book, 365 days, and it's meant to be consumed a day at a time. And I believe life is best when we consume it a day at a time. So if somebody's interested in becoming built to lead and they got an idea today that, that sparked them and they want to get the book, get the book, don't binge read it or listen to it. Listen to it one at a time. Listen to these builders' journeys. These are stories of guys like OB who have been doing the work. And you'll read their stories of what this work has done for them. There's 12 of those. And they're littered throughout the uh, the book. And, and then just take it a day at a time and read it, write, reflect, and then put something into action that the, the book will kind of prompt you to write this and do this and try this and try that. And play with it and make it yours. You know, that's why that's the way I wrote the book, so that it'd be a a book you consume by using it. And so yeah, if anybody wants to do that, again, the audio book, I know it's all available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and other places. Yeah, feel free to get that book and I hope you I hope you make it yours. Well, I have a journal behind me that's got all of my eighty one uh, discovery questions in it and then I've got a journal downstairs that I'm on, I think, day 315 of Becoming Built the Lead. So, yeah, even when it's over, it's a good practice and it's gotten me in the habit of every morning I get my son up, we go downstairs, we watch a little TV and while he's watching something on TV, I sit there and I read it and I, you know, journal whatever thoughts it comes up and it's gotten me in the habit. And when it's done, I'm going to continue to prompt myself every day with, you know, some kind of prompt or some kind of question and hopefully continue that practice for uh, for years. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going through it again, like, like mo- most of my clients are, and I wrote it and I'm amazed how much I'm getting out of it, reading it again. And as a band, we go through it and we're all writing in the, the blog, different builders in the band are writing. And then we talk about it every Friday and we're all just kind of blown away. Like there's such a reservoir. It, it's one page. But there, we all know there's a million pages behind each one. Yeah. So we're having a lot of fun as a band uh, playing with it, and we are we're going to play with it again next year. We're going to 
we're going to do it a little different. And I'll mention that if anybody wants to subscribe to the blog, you don't have to buy the book. You can subscribe to the blog, builttolead.com for free. And we write about the work every day. And, and that's free. And if anybody wants to do that, you know, have at it. Well, and that's a good point too, because there's, if you go into the search function on your blog and you type in core, yeah. all of this stuff that we've talked about today comes up. So you can see the template, yeah. you can see the format and start to work through some of this stuff on your own. And, and if anything, if you're still listening to this one, God bless you. And two, <laughs> I'd encourage you to, to pull out a piece of paper over the next couple of weeks or months and really start to work through this stuff and work through it, go back to it, figure out what's really you, figure out what's really BS. And really, mm-hmm. the, the more you figure this out, the more you understand yourself and the more you understand where you're going in the world. It, it really is, as Chet would say, freaking magic. <laughs> Thank you, Chet. Good. All right. Thank you. I enjoyed it. It was fun to be with you. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.